Father, we, I need, we need you this morning. We really do need you. Parts of our lives are very broken. The places we work are broken. Our homes may be quite broken. Father, we need you. We really need you. Would you come afresh this morning? Touch our hearts, our lives afresh with your grace. Come in mercy. Free us from all that tangles and binds. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, if you have your Bible open uh, this morning, I'm going to look at a bit of chunks of that. If you find that helpful, there'll be a few slides up as well. But if you have your passage in front of you, you might find it helpful this morning. So I've literally touched on before the children and young people went down. It is always, I think, worth asking the questions, what are my expectations of the Christian life? And how am I doing? In a sense, that's a great place to start with prayer. Not necessarily prayer for the world and prayer for other things, but to try and enable yourself just to allow God to reorder our hearts and our lives. As we walked by the Spirit last year, as we thought about that, looked at that in lots of different passages through the Old Testament and the New Testament, my question I suppose this morning is, do you sense God leading you forward? Is God leading you forward, moving you on? One of the theological ways you could talk about it, it's very easy if you're kind of someone that's not quite sure about this Christian faith, not sure about that Jesus. We look at the cross and we see the cross is this extraordinary place of grace and mercy where me, a sinner, if I'm honest, recognizing my weakness and my inability to do all the things I'd love to do, can come. But then the Christian story goes beyond the cross. We journey into the resurrection where resurrection life comes, where Jesus is ascended, seated, and then Pentecost comes as the Spirit blows through, um, through the new, new apostles, disciples, as so people are filled with the Spirit. And then Jesus sends them out. They're commissioned, in a sense. Happens before in Jesus' time too, but to continue Jesus' mission and his ministry transform the world make a difference make my name known heal the sick cleanse those deliver those it's quite challenging I find one writer I know in talking about what it means to be a Christian what Christian discipleship compares it as I said earlier on, to a road race. And there are so many different conditions, but his book, one of the books I wrote recently that it's about thriving, compares it particularly talking to leaders, people who've been Christians a long time. And the kind of sadness of people who start so well, but then find themselves in the long grass, stuck in, the, in a car that's rolled over, not able to fulfill what God wanted for their lives crashed 
grounded, confused, broken. And actually all that potential, all that kind of sense of what God may want to do in you and through you gets wasted. And for those who've been in church a long time, we'll have seen it again and again, and there's a grieving over that. A grieving over all that could be. Plenty of leaders, plenty of times in our own life, when we've been honest, we'll have realised that actually we've made particularly bad choices in our lives. Not necessarily the biggest choices, but those day-to-day choices of choosing to love, to forgive, to bless, to resist temptation. And before we know it, our bar gets lower and lower and lower and lower, and we kind of get stuck and essentially get lost. And a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and, you know, an incredibly difficult story in many ways. But I hope this morning that every single one of us would both long for ourselves, but also long for everybody else around us, including the children downstairs, We long for each other to be on the side of Barnabas rather than Ananias and Sapphira. We want to see all the potential that God has placed in us, released and and fulfilled in obedience and called for what God has called us to rather than wasted. Running to the account in Acts, and if you've got it open, it doesn't take too long to realize that this morning carries on. There's a bit of weightiness to the story that that we've got, the account that we've got in chapter 5 of Acts. This passage is inspiring and challenging in equal measure. Remember, Jesus has left the early scene, and, you know, a while ago, a couple of chapters ago, we found Peter and John praying some incredibly bold prayers. You know, that actually they would continue the ministry of healing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would see miracles amongst them. And Peter and John, bear in mind, this is Peter and John, this is not Jesus, I'm going to keep saying that. This is Peter and John, human beings, continue to do extraordinary things in Jesus' name. The passage that has lots of awe in it, but also some alarming things in it that we could feel quite intimidated by. David read us this fantastic passage. It's full of interest, lots of dramatic and compelling events if you have it open in front of you. Then there's lots to draw attention to. But I really just want to look at two things this morning, two simple things. Firstly, God is looking for people to partner with in mission. God is looking for people who are available to be used by him. And in a sense, it is that simple, my first point. Are you willing? Are you willing? Do you want to join in? I think, if I'm honest, if I, you know, if I was a bit mean and I sat down individually with each one of you and you were really honest with me and I was straight with you, I reckon a good chunk of you would think, you know, Tim, let's be honest, this isn't for me. This is for special people. This is for holy people. This is for people who are professional Christians. 
not for me. I've done too many bad things in my life. Don't deserve to be used by God. Do you know, I haven't seen any of this in my life. I've been a Christian 40 years, 50 years. And what this passage talks about is not my experience. It's for other people. Not for me. But the Bible, and I want to say this again and again and again, is full of very ordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's notable in today's reading when God is, I kind of think, and sometimes I fall into this trap too, where I kind of think, you know, all we need, we need this move of God. And somehow God will just zap people and then fix it. And he doesn't really need us. It would make my life more comfortable. I can just carry on as I want. So well, God did turn up. You know, that's a bit sad. But what we notice here in this passage and often through the Bible is God uses John and Peter and the apostles to be the means of blessing, to be the means of blessing other people. God uses people. God chooses to use it, chooses to use people. We're called to display God's goodness and his splendor to a world that's in desperate need of God. To slightly adapt to kind of well-known phrase, our faith needs to look like something real in day-to-day life. Not abstract, not in our heads, but our faith needs to look like something. So I'm just going to flick through lots of these verses so you've got a passage in front of you and I just want to notice something. If you start even at verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders amongst them. Not God. Interestingly, I mean, God did do those things. But actually, the, the scripture says it was through the apostles. Continuing the working of healing and evangelism. Not human works, but signs and wonders that the King of Kings was present and at work amongst them. I love this bit in verse 15. If you've got verse 15 new, we find Peter walking amongst them. Peter's simply about his business, walking uh, between the towns or the places. And such was the hunger for the people to find healing for their, for their kind of people that they put them outside in case Peter's shadow passed them. Now, there's a whole sermon on that particular passage, particular few words. But I want you to notice that people were hungry to see their friends and their families find healing. And actually, they were using simple people. Now, I recognize this is on the kind of slightly mysterious, and God is clearly, manifestly doing something very dramatic and powerful. But God is using Peter and John here to bless others, they're about their business. And actually, God is doing stuff through them as they make themselves available. What we'll notice further on in the text, if you go on to verse 18, is that the apostles are prepared to be put in jail. They're arrested. They're not silenced. Disobeying the authorities who told them to be quiet. As actually, as you'll see, the political maneuverings amongst the kind of ruling Sanhedrin is that they're fearful that they're going to get blamed for Jesus' death. And this movement is growing. This Jesus movement is growing, and that makes our position difficult. All of us at different points will have to decide 
Will we listen to the voice of Jesus? Will we be prepared to testify to his name? Or will we listen to all the voices in our culture? Will we listen to our own sense of inner voice of what we think we ought to do? Or will we spend all our life trying to please other people that we won't speak for Jesus? What you'll find here, if you look further on in the text, in verses 21 and 25, is that the apostles choose about being obedient to the voice of Jesus. Miraculously escaping prison. Extraordinary. They're prepared to take the cost of standing up and being accountable, of honouring Jesus above all others. Really simple as you look at this first part of the text. It's really clear that Peter and John and the apostles are in the game, as I'm going to call it this morning. They're stuck in the thick of it. They're playing their part. They see themselves as participants in the kingdom of God. Not on the sidelines observing, but playing. Uh, yesterday, someone very kindly gave us uh, a couple of tickets to go to the last rugby match of Bath Rugby. Sorry, another sporting analogy. And Hannah came with me, and she hasn't been to many matches. And I had a great time. Sun came out. It was all all right. I had a great time. And I really love rugby, and I can't help but get engaged in it. Um, actually, is Hannah hit Hannah? Hannah's not here, so I can say what I want. Uh, is that, sorry. Is that, I said, Hannah, what was it there? What would you say? So we said, Dad, it was a lot of grey-haired, middle-class, middle-aged men being very opinionated about a game they can't play. <laughs> I think she was talking to me, actually, and some of the people around us. And actually what she realised is, as, as some of us who had played maybe a long time ago, you know, we behaved like observers in a rugby match. 30 people are literally bashing themselves senseless and 15,000 people are watching. Some of those kind of dynamics of kind of what we do in culture can slip into how we see our Christian life. God longs to use us in every area of our lives. God longs to use us. He wants us to be in the game, to be part of all his plans and purposes across every part of our lives. And yes, at times, that is difficult. We will suffer. There's a cost to that. But he longs to use us. We are his hands and feet in the world. As I said a few times, or we've said in a few times over the last month, there, there are only certain people in this world that you can bless that I can't. And God has given you some people to bless. God has given you some people to speak life to. God has given you some people to encourage, to pray for, to do what you can. You know, he, he wants us to be his hands and feet. He wants us to be in the game. A pastor in the States who I've got quite a bit of time for and I've enjoyed listening to over a number of years once said this a number of years ago and then I was struck by it because I thought, oh, that's a bit, a bit extreme. But many of us have been Christians quite a long time who are in the room today. 
And he said something like this. He said, your Christian discipleship will be pretty much determined by your ability to wait and to suffer. Your ability to wait and to suffer. Now, when I first heard that, I started to rail against it for all sorts of reasons. But as I've kind of got a little bit of life experience, I think, over the years, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Will you wait for God's timing? When God wants you to do it? Will you wait for God? And actually, will you be prepared to pay the cost when actually things are really tough? And I know many of you, some of you have gone through incredibly tough things. Incredibly tough things. And those, for those of you who keep going and stand the test, I hold my hand up and say, well done, faithful, for not giving up, for keeping on the road, for keeping walking. Because that's what we call to. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy. And like, you know, like most people, I wish in the kind of image of the car, I imagine sometimes life to be like a cruise where my needs are being tended to and I'm gently, serenely going along the Baltic coast or something. But there may be pictures in my life of that, but most of life is nothing like that. It's much more subtle and nuanced as we've talked about before, including incredible joys and family and all those other things and worshipping together and serving together. But it will include tough stuff. And we need to be remembered to keep our head up. And we need to encourage each other to keep our heads up when things are going pear-shaped. Sorry, that's not very theological, is it? But you know what I'm trying to say. So this morning, if you're struggling, if actually you are someone where the conditions are dreadful, it's difficult to explain, things are in a bit of a mess, two things really take heart. God is with you, but also don't do it alone. Really, the Christian life was never intended to be alone. Find someone to pray with you this morning. I'd love to pray with you. Lots of other people would love to pray with you. Secondly, agreeing with the mission of God. Really simple this morning. There are lots of stunning bits in this passage. We need to be in the game. We need to start to realize that actually what that means is if we're in the game, our choices matter. And of course, with the biggest choice, obviously, is choosing to follow Jesus. But actually, on a daily basis, as one person put it, we will face lots of forks in the road. And we want to encourage each other to make good choices day by day. To choose to agree with God on what he wants for us, what he longs for us. Again, if you've got the Bible open in front of you, you'll see halfway through this passage in verse 29, we find Peter and the apostles saying, we must obey God more than humans, rather than humans. We must obey God rather than humans. I wonder how you feel about that phrase. Must we? Must we? Obey God rather than humans. 
Is there any sense of urgency in your own life about that, about some areas of your life where you sense that tension, really, I've got to choose God today? Because I could choose not to do God. I could choose just to ignore God all today. Or I could choose to be with God and take time with God today. Is the sense of urgency somewhere in your life that is reflected in this passage? Do we reckon, do we sense that kind of sense of actually, Lord, I, I long to please you. I long for my life to be a, fla- a fragrant, a flagrant, <laughs> quite funny, sorry, a fragrant offering um, to you. You know, I long for that. I long for that. Remember this passage follows on from Ananias and Sapphira who've chosen a different way. who made different choices. But Peter gets this opportunity to explain really beautifully, gets his opportunity in 29 to 32, this kind of really simple gospel summary where, he's, you know, he's under great pressure, he's before the leaders' authorities, he's been persecuted, he's been in jail, you know, he's, they're, they're against the cosh. But essentially, what do we notice in here? Everything hangs on who Christ is. It all hangs on Christ. Everything. Everything. Peter essentially says six quick things. You killed Jesus on the cross, look what you did. Our God raised him. Our God exalted him as prince and saviour. So he could offer repentance and forgiveness. We are his witnesses. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to the repentant. And so the question here really is, Peter gets his chance to to share the gospel, to proclaim who Christ is. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the long-awaited one. And of course, if that is true, if Jesus was that person and is that person, then the religious leaders are in trouble. Peter witnesses to them, shares, and kind of Gamaliel, who's kind of, uh, was actually Paul's teacher, uh, we find later on in Acts, uh, what like, I call like, you know, the wise man in the room who sort of sits there and says, you know, okay, just hold, hold a second. Don't just destroy all these people. Because actually lots of people have come before making bold claims. Judas came. Judas came, proclaiming that they were the person. And that all turned to nothing. Lots of people have claimed to, to be the kind of long-awaited Messiah. But actually, at that time, loads of people were making claims, but they all came to nothing. But this Jesus, we don't know yet. So don't persecute them. Bide your time. And it's from God, and if it's from God, it will stand the test of time. If it's not from God, it won't. And then verse 34, 38 sorry, and 39, if you have it in front of you, he said, do we really want to fight against God? if Christ is the Messiah? And of course, if the answer is no, you don't want to turn your back on God. Then they're called to radical obedience. We see in verse 41 and 42, to follow Christ all the days of life, to put God above all others. 
But of course, that's the nub of it, isn't it? The nub of it is Christ is the one. He is the one, the only one in that sense. The only one, the saviour, the prince, the redeemer of all mankind, the renewal of all things, that God has come in Christ into our world. Then actually everything else does pale into insignificance around it. They choose to listen to Gamaliel as a wise man, and they just say, well, I will just flog them as well. So they get flogged. But that flogging doesn't deter them because they know they, they know what they've experienced and know who God is and they know that what they're called to. And so here's the thing, and this kind of permeates all the way throughout. It's one of the commentators on Acts, someone called Willie Jellings, said this. He said, we rightly love the unity of the earliest believers. We look at back at Acts and think, yeah, they had everything in common. Isn't that lovely? And until we realize their unity involved incarcerations and floggings. What Acts records is dramatic. It has such a mixed thing of God doing miraculous things, but also of the cost to human beings too. And for me, as I come back to these passages and I think about it, it's one of the great treasures of Christian worship over the last 2,000 years. It's actually the invitation for me that I've taken through the last nearly 50 years of my life to meet together and worship, to be renewed in the presence of God with God's people. Whether I do that alone in my bedroom or in our house, or actually I do that by gathering with this community, each day afresh coming into the presence of God and saying, Lord, renew me afresh by your spirit this day. Help me as I walk with you today. Keep a clearer picture, a bigger picture of who you really are in front of me, who it is I'm serving. When I'm tempted to make you smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because I'm really struggling, lift my head, Lord, to see who it is I'm really serving, to see the King of Kings. This morning, my encouragement to you simply is this, two things, one of which is, if you've never said yes to Jesus, or actually deep in your heart, you're not sure you've said that, today is a great morning to simply turn to him in repentance and ask his forgiveness and turn to him in your own heart. Nobody else needs to know, necessarily, but actually about getting that right, because if he is the Christ, if you've got Jesus, then we start to get things in the right order. If we don't, everything becomes a bit confusing. And secondly, it's this, is that you may have been a Christian far longer than I have, 80, 90, 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20 years, and you may recognize you're a bit stuck for whatever reason. And so I suppose the invitation really simply is this. You may be facing forks in the road each day and you just kind of feel, Lord, I'm, I'm lost and I'm not sure I'm taking the right roads or I'm doing the right things. Just need to simply say, well, this morning it's just about a heart's posture to say, Lord, I want to follow you where you call me to this week. To actually ask for your help. Ask for your guidance. Ask for your strength. 
and take the right thoughts in the road this week. Will you agree with God today? Will you bring yourself into agreement with who God is and all he wants for your life and longs for your life? It may just be a tentative step today, it may be a big step, but that's what we're called to this morning. To seek him first, to seek his kingdom first. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment to pray. We're just going to be still for a minute. Just going to leave a quiet, complete silence for maybe a minute. And just actually, I want you to just use that time to talk to God and your own mind about where you are. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to ask for fresh strength. Maybe that actually you're struggling to hear God's voice amongst the clamor of all the other things. You just say, Lord, would you speak to me? Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for the picture of fearlessness we see in these first apostles. Father, thank you that it's so challenging, it's so glorious to see your hand at work doing extraordinary things. But Father, we ask afresh for ourselves that you would help us to lift our heads toward you, toward you when we try and do things on our own. Set us free, we pray, from all the fear and anxiety that consumes us, consumes our culture, that entangles our own hearts, the hearts of those we spend our lives with. King Jesus, thank you that you came to set us free, to be free indeed. Father, would you open Two, a couple of things. Would you open our mouths to witness to you, in, maybe in the most gentle way or the most, most bold way? To share what you've done in our lives. And Father, would you help us I ask for help afresh this day to take hold of all that you've called us to, to say yes to you and all you long for in our lives. In Jesus' name.